0: Good morning and welcome to Seacoast. My name is Josh Walters, I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I wanna welcome you if you're joining us online or in one of the venues or at an offsite campus, wherever you may be, we are excited that you are here to worship with us today. Hey, I wanna take just a minute for two uh, housekeeping items, the first of which is that if you're new here to Seacoast or maybe you've been here for a while and you're questioning what does it look like, what would it look like for me to take my next step, maybe learn some more about the church, get involved in a small group or serving, something like that. Today across all of our campuses we had the Inside Track and it is the best place to meet some people on a similar journey, kinda come away with all the knowledge, resources, tools you need to take a next step here at the church. So uh, your campus pastor or somebody will come up towards the end of the service and let you know when and where that is, but we would love for you to be a part of it. One team that you will learn about in the Inside Track that I wanna highlight is our Kids Coast team. Katie and I have six kids and uh, we've always wanted seven, we're not done yet, hopefully got a little bit of work to do there, but uh, for any of you here that are parents, you know that, man, life with kids can just be full and heavy, and every single weekend, I feel like Katie and I, come into this place needing to be in the presence of God. And our Kids Coast team, our staff and dream team, are the people who make that happen. They allow for us as parents to be in here, to be in his presence, and oftentimes they can go unseen and unnoticed. They're not just in there watching kids, they are contextualizing the good news that they would see, know, and experience the love of God, teaching them in a way that's age appropriate. So why don't you join me here in Mount Pleasant and across all of our campuses. Let's honor them today, let them know. We celebrate them. So thankful for these moments. We acknowledge you for uh, helping create them for us. So I want us to take just a minute. Let's pray over them. Scripture says, He who refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. And I just want to pray that God would refresh and bless them for every minute that they've given and served each of us. We'll pray over our time today and get started. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for our Kids Co staff and Dream Team. God, we do not take it for granted. Every moment that they spend preparing to teach and invest and love on our kids, holding babies, raising up kids in the way that they should go, partnering with us as parents so that we can have these moments where we get to come in here to go after you and experience your presence and power. So we just pray your word over each of them. He who refreshes others, will himself be refreshed in ways that only you can, God. Would you refresh and bless and just multiply blessing back on them for all that they've given and poured out? I pray over our time together today, God, may your word not return void. Prepare our hearts and minds for all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I got a question for you to consider as we get started. What would the healthiest version of yourself look like physically? What would that look like? Some of y'all are laughing, like, not a chance, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Or, I'm living it, baby. I don't know what you're thinking, but uh, the healthiest version physically, what would that look like? Maybe you'd have some semblance of a six pack, you know? Maybe a little cut in your tricep. You purposefully carry bags on your arms and your shoulders just so it kind of looks like you've been in the gym, something like that. I've always wanted those side muscles, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, I don't even know how you get those. Like, you don't pick up bags, I'll get that for you. You know, it's like you don't even bend over like that. Every time I see them at the beach, it's so aggravating. It's like, those gotta be implants, right? I don't know where those came from, but they're ridiculous. (laughs) That's just incredible. What would that look like, the healthiest version of you physically? You know, few of us will actually experience that, or maybe you're living that out and we hate you, okay? (laughs) But the rest of us, we don't, why? Because it takes an incredible amount of hustle and work. Meal planning, dietary changes, time in the gym, The amount of water you drink, the amount of uh, sleep that you get, it takes a lot to be the healthiest version of yourself physically. What about, what would the healthiest version of yourself look like financially? What would that look like? Maybe you have a a security fund, emergency fund saved up for when you blow the tire or when the air conditioner goes out. Maybe you got three or six months worth worth of life expenses saved up, you know, just in the event of of an emergency of some kind, you'd be prepared and able to take care of it. Maybe you're debt free, right? Or maybe mortgage free. Can you imagine what it would be like to live without a mortgage? I'm like, man, that would be crazy. A few of us will experience that, right? But most of us will not, primarily because of the degree of hustle and sacrifice and hard work and vision. Dave Ramsey says that you you live like no one else now so that you can live like no one else later. And Man, that is just, that is hard work, right? None of us would argue about the importance of our our physical and our financial health, but most of us have settled into a good enough zone, right? Good enough, where we're reasonably happy with our degree of effort and the outcome that we're getting. Last week, Pastor Josh kicked off a new series for us called Restoration, and the premise of the series is this, that our past is not our future, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, but the challenge for us as believers is that when we step in to a relationship with God, wherever it might be, oftentimes, we leave that moment and step back into our old life. We live in the same home, we have a lot of the same friends, we work at the same office, we have a lot of the same hurts, habits, and hangups. Well, if our past is not our future, then what do we do with it, right? How do we move forward, What is restoration for us actually look like. And today I wanna talk with us about a topic that that we were all created to need and desire. It's one that if we are to settle in this good enough zone, that we could possibly miss out on the rich and full and satisfying life that God has in store for us. And it is the area of relationships. We live in a culture that treats relationships as disposable. My parents' generation, man, they would work the same job for 20, 30, 40 years, grow up in the same house, have a lot of the same neighbors, did the hard work of cultivating relationships. In our culture today, it is not uncommon. If you have a conflict with a boss or a coworker, it's like, well man, freshen up your resume, right? Like, I'm getting out of here. It's not uncommon to move across the country or across the world, right, for your next opportunity professionally. If you get in an argument or have a conflict with a neighbor, it's like, well, I work during the week, he works on weekends. I get home about dinner time and go inside. We never really have to see each other. He'll probably move at some point anyway, so eh, no worries, you know. We don't do the the hard work of actually working on the relationship. Well, the problem is we as believers are supposed to be a people who are set apart, right? We are supposed to look different than the rest of the world. Scripture says, this then is how people will know that you're my disciples, how you love one another. So if we, if we navigate conflict like everybody else, then we're not really looking different than anybody else. So the question for me is, what is the ideal supposed to look like? What is relationship supposed to look like if we're gonna be a people who stand out and look different than the world that we live in? Well, in Acts 2 there on your outline for that first blank, it gives us a good picture of the ideal. What could relationship look like for us? It says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching Now, when I read that passage, I kind of envision these people at an altar making a vow, almost like at a wedding. I read it past tense, they devoted themselves. But in the Greek, it actually says, continually devoting themselves. It wasn't a decision that they made that they were then living out, but every day, continually devoting themselves to live in community, to study. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what we know as the Bible. They were a people committed to studying the Bible to breaking bread, com- taking communion together, remembering the finished work of Jesus on the cross. He died that we might have this kind of a relationship with each other, that we would live in right relationship with him. They devoted themselves to prayer. They sacrificed for one another. If one of them had a need, they would sell possessions. If they were moving, they would show up and serve and care for each other. They went to each other's kids' sporting events, camel races, whatever it was at the time, right? Do you get the picture? This is so much more than than like a Beth Moore Bible study. And I love a Beth Moore Bible study. I have done a woman after God's own heart. I myself am a woman after God's own heart, right? (laughs) Not knocking Beth Moore. I'm just saying this is so much more than just a small group experience. They devoted themselves continually to doing life together. Can you imagine what that must have felt like? Just the sense of friendship and community. I would imagine that they felt loved, they felt seen, they felt known. There weren't parts of their life that they, they felt like were hidden to where they thought like, man, if they really knew me, they wouldn't love me, right? They were exposed, they were, they were vulnerable. If we were to grab coffee and I said, hey, talk with me about the nature of your relationships, just the rhythms, the depth, the health, how would you describe them? Chances are, if your life is anything like mine, there would be a bit of a gap between the ideal and that second blank on your outline, the real deal, right? Your world, not that it doesn't have any glimpses of Acts 2, not that you don't see some relational goodness, but chances are there's a gap between the ideal, what we read in Acts 2, and the world that you're actually living in. So, what does that look like? Katie and I are in a a small group with about 15 other couples. And between all the couples, there's about 30 or 35 kids. And what's unique to the the group is there's only one couple of the 15 that live within walking distance of our house. So proximity is a big challenge in community. These people very much did life together. They were close to each other, where in our, our culture we live all over the place. Man, proximity is a challenge to really experiencing life together. Between all of our kids, we've got from, from babies to high schoolers, right? Kids that are still nursing and on nap schedules and feeding rhythms and others that are playing high school sports and have incredibly demanding academic and athletic endeavors. We've got moms that are staying home, stay-at-home moms. We've got moms that are working part-time. We've got moms that are working full-time. We've got some dads that work during the week, some dads that work on the weekends, some dads that travel for a living. Just the logistics of us getting together make it very challenging for us to do life together, but we are the first. If there is a tragedy, if something happens in somebody's life, man, we'll drop what we're doing and show up for each other. We're on a a text thread. If there's a prayer need, if you're stepping into something, you need prayer, man, we're there for each other. If we're moving, we'll rally and help each other move. We celebrate the victories and each other's kids. We try to help to parent them as a village. Man, it is the best we can do, but it is not Acts 2, okay? I looked up Acts 2 in the JSP translation, which is Josh's substandard perversion, (laughs) to to try to give us a little bit more accurate picture, right, as to what does our world actually look like. So let me read this to you, see if it resonates any. They did their best to have quiet times regularly and attend church on the weekends occasionally going out to lunch with each other after church or hitting up a kids eat free night at Moe's on Tuesday. (laughs) They shared prayer needs regularly. However, they all communicated on different platforms like text messaging, Marco Polo, Facebook Messenger, Teams or email so it wasn't uncommon to miss an update. On top of that, their cell phone would show that they had 2,312 unread emails and 142 unopened text messages. Seriously, all right? Some of them were blown away, and others were skeptical, 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 <laughs> skeptical about the healings and miracles that had been happening. When all the believers were together, they knew which topics, relationships, and political issues to avoid because they usually led to arguments. They sold their property and possessions to reinvest in other opportunities and improve their financial portfolio. <laughs> they regularly tried to attend the same service and would watch online if they were traveling or at home. There was just about always food and laughter involved. They were thankful that God had brought them into each other's lives and most of them enjoyed each other. And a few of them knew a story about someone getting saved. <laughs> Does that resonate a little bit more with the world that you live in, right? Now chances are, that might be a bit of extreme, uh, extreme example, but chances are there's a gap between the ideal and the real deal. Man, when I read Acts two, it is easy breezy, baby. You know what I'm talking about? All the believers were together and had everything in common. You know how many people I've got everything in common with? Nobody, right? Everything in common, even in the church, right? What, what, should, what temperature should it be in the worship center? What time should the services start? What kind of free coffee should we serve? It's free coffee. You didn't pay anything for it anyway, right? But none of us agree on it had everything in common? That's just not the world we live in. I don't have everything in common with anybody. When I read Acts 2, the one thing that seems to be missing to me that my world is full of is conflict. I don't read conflict. Surely they had it, yet they were set apart. Their lives looked different. We all experience it. Why is it so important that we learn how to resolve it in a way that honors God and restores relationship? couple thoughts there on the bottom of your outline. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it's possible, if there's anything, anything at all that you can do, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. Ephesians 4, 2 and 3, there on the back, it says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort. Y'all say every effort. Make every effort to keep unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. I mean, there are very few things in scripture that we're told to make every effort to do, make every effort to keep unity, to live in, to experience peace. Well, how do we do that? If we're gonna close the gap between the ideal and the real deal in our lives, that next blank there on your outline, it is going to be an ordeal. It's gonna be an ordeal. Webster's Dictionary, I love this, defines an ordeal as a painful and horrific experience. (laughs) right? And for any of you that have ever navigated conflict in a relationship, if you've ever fought for restoration, that's a good definition. It is gonna be painful and horrific. So what does that look like for us? How do we navigate the ordeal? A couple thoughts, the first of which, there on your outline, is that we have to make it personal. We've gotta make it personal. See, oftentimes, we view restoration in relationships as an ideal worth pursuing, but not a command worth obeying. We see it as optional. That would be a good idea. That would be a good thing to do, but man, that would be really hard to do. I don't know that I I want to do it. I don't know that I'm necessarily willing to do it. Second Corinthians 5, 17 and 18, there on your outline says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. What I love about this passage is that it lays out for us who we are and what we do. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That is who we are. We came to him broken, right? While we were still in sin, Christ died for us with hurts and habits and hangups, but he made us new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That is who we are. But what we do is he's given us this ministry of reconciliation. Second Corinthians 5.20 says, we therefore are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So we're to walk out this Jesus life doing the very same thing he did for us, restoring our relationship with God and restoring relationships with other people. It reminds me of when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, but the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when I read those two, I'm like, those aren't like each other at all. One's entirely about loving God and the other is about loving my neighbor like I love myself. But what he was saying was that to love God is to love people. The reflection of your love for me is gonna be seen in how you love others. And when we have conflict, when we have division, are we making every effort to promote unity through the bond of peace? Matthew 5, 23 and 24 there in your outline says it this way. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. He's saying, hey, if you're showing up here to worship me and you get here and remember that you've got beef with your brother, you've got a problem with your sister, hey, leave your gift, leave that, then go and reconcile the relationship, then come back and worship me. What's so unique about this passage is that it was, it's the Sermon on the Mount. It was given in the Mount of Olives right at the foot of the temple in Jerusalem. And there were three festivals a year, pilgrimage festivals, where they would travel, not hop in their car, not get on a plane, get on a camel, right, and travel for days or weeks at a time to go to the temple to worship. So he's there talking to them after this journey into Jerusalem, who knows how long they had traveled. But he says, hey, if you there remember, like, oh man, I forgot. I've got an issue with him or her. If, if you recall having a problem with your brother or sister, You might think, man, what do you mean, go all the way back? I don't even know when they left or where they are. I'm gonna have to do the work of journeying back to find them. But he says that's how important these relationships are. We've got to make it personal. This is an ideal, ideal. it's not a thought for what if, or in a perfect world, or man, it would be nice. He's positioned us here to have this ministry of reconciliation, to do the hard work of humbling ourselves of fighting for relationship, of making it right. So the first step in navigating the ordeal is we've got to make it personal. Number two there on your outline is you've got to pick your pain. Pick your pain. Imagine with me that you get hurt, twist an ankle or mess up your knee, shoulder, something happens, and you go to a physical therapist that was recommended by a friend of yours. You go in, you meet the guy, seems to be nice, and say, hey, listen, I want you to know out the gate, I am all in for this relationship. I'm gonna do all the homework that you give me. You're gonna send me home with all those rubber band straps, and I'm gonna do all the exercises. I'm, I'm gonna be with it. My only requirement is no pain. I've, I've heard some bad experiences about people's injuries that have gotten worse, because they were pushed and experienced pain, and uh, I'm all in as long as you don't hurt me, right? Well, <laughs> like, that would be ridiculous, right? The very nature of the relationship is to bring about pain that will ultimately lead to your healing and growth. Well, to be in relationship, to love, is to be vulnerable. To be vulnerable is to be hurt. To hurt is to forgive and love again. There is pain in relationship. But as a people, anytime we are presented with pain, there are one of two options. We are fight or flight, right? We fight, we're like, all right, I'm gonna get involved. Let's talk about this, let's work through this. How do you feel, what do you think? This is where I'm at. Let's pray together. Oh, we gotta keep talking about it because it's not resolved. Like you work on it, right? That's hard work. There's pain involved in that because you gotta confront your own sin, your feelings, the spirit of offense, what they said about you. Man, they said some hurtful things. Fighting and talking about it and working on it can be painful or we're flight. Like, man, I don't wanna deal with that. I wanna avoid it at all costs. Let's just go on and do something else. There's plenty of things we could do to make us happy and smile, pick any one of them. You know, I don't wanna do the other stuff. But the truth is, there's pain involved in both paths. One is a pain in fighting. One is a pain that we would experience immediately that could lead to life. And the other is a pain that we would experience later and lead to death. Because anytime you have conflict in a relationship, it's never 100% the other person's fault. You always carry 2%, 5%, 10% of the conflict was your responsibility. So by flighting, by running from it and not addressing it, you carry a portion of the problem with you, right? And you're gonna replicate some version of that in other relationships, so you've got to pick your pain. No relationship is gonna be void of pain. Hebrews 12, one through three says it this way. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let us run with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, considering him, and any time that I'm presented with conflict relationally, it's so challenging and convicting to remember the price that he paid that we might live in a restored relationship with God and each other. I often want to pick the path of least resistance, especially as a guy. To restore relationship means that I have to talk about my feelings. I'm gonna feel like a pansy, right? Hey, you said this and it made me feel this way. Like, <laughs> God, you just don't wanna do that, right? But it is the hard work of fighting to restore relationship, remembering the price that Jesus paid so that we might have it. Imagine this, what if you were at the office and you walk around the corner in the office and there's two people kind of in the room over beside you that's open and you hear one of them say your name. So you kind of slow down you are listening, you realize like they're, they're talking about you and it's not in a way that's honoring. So you kind of pull back a little bit and listen to them and the subject changes. And you go back to your office, because now it's awkward, you don't wanna walk in after they were just talking about you. But you get to your office and you start thinking like, man, if that was just out in the open in front of everybody, like what do they say about me behind closed doors? And one of them is a supervisor, and you're like, well if he's talking about me that way, what are the other supervisors thinking? So you think, well maybe I should go in and talk to him about it. But then you remember like, I've never even heard this guy apologize for anything. So what am I going there and be vulnerable? And he's gonna say like, no, we were talking about somebody else, whatever, you know what you're talking about, then it's gonna make things awkward between us. right? So you don't say anything, and then you find yourself a week later, a month later, looking at every supervisor, wondering like, are they talking about me, are they thinking about me, nobody likes me, all because you didn't wanna do the hard work of going to have a confrontation to say, hey, I heard this, and I want you to know how it made me feel, this is what I thought about it, can you talk with me about that. You know, maybe you learned they were talking about a dude in a totally different department, right? She just happened to have the same name, but it wasn't even you. In relationship, we have got to pick our pain. And deciding that I'm gonna experience some pain now to fight for a relationship, to restore relationship, will not only honor God, but lead to life later. His word does not return void. We've gotta make it personal, we've gotta pick Our pain. And number three there on your outline, you've gotta get your masters in forgiveness. Get your, (laughs) some people laughed at that, that's not funny, that's for real. (laughs) I was the first male in our our family to uh, go to college and I always struggled through school and it was so aggravating because Katie and I would go out and study and I would be in the books making flashcards, note cards, having friends call it out to me. She'd be floating around the coffee shop, hey, hey girl, you know, just talking, hanging out. And I would think like, I'm gonna get her on this one, right? I studied so much harder. And sure enough, she'd come out with an A and I'd get a C every single time. Well, when I finished my academic race, when I graduated from college, man, I wanted that to be it so bad, right? I was just totally spent and done I didn't have anything left in me. For any of you that have ever gotten a master's, you know you gotta have that extra want to. That extra drive, that extra motivation. Well, Scripture gives us a picture of what it looks like, both in terms of frequency and depth, to pursue a master's in forgiveness. Matthew 18, 21 and 22 says, For Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy times. Seven times. He wasn't literally saying, I want you to forgive him 77 times. He was saying, I want you to forgive so many times that you lose count. That we would be a people whose lives are characterized by forgiveness. That over and over and over again, when you offend me, when you hurt me, when you forget about me, when you didn't call me, when you didn't invite me, when I heard you talking about me, that over and again, and over, I would be willing to forgive. But how many of you know there's some pains, some things that you need to forgive that just cut deeper than others? The anchor passage for me on forgiveness is Luke 23, 34 there in your outline. It says, Jesus said to them, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Just imagine being Jesus, the very people he came to save. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He came to seek and save the lost. The very people he came to fight for and restore relationship with God with, worthy ones, crucifying, spitting, beating, mocking. And in his anger and pain, he didn't call down curses upon them, but he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I get the picture of somebody walking around in in a room with the lights off, stubbing their toes and hurting themselves. I don't see what they're doing, because they're in the dark, they're in sin, his prayer was Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Both in terms of frequency, that we would be characterized by that, but also in terms of depth of pain. What of our greatest evangelism strategy? The most powerful thing that we could do to reach the community around us wasn't necessarily things that we did out in the community, but things that we did in here with each other. If they saw the way that we forgave one another and said, man, did you see what she did to him? Did you see what he did to that guy and he forgave him? I mean, their relationship seems to be better than it ever, ever has been. And I talked to him about it and he said it was Jesus. Like what, you know? People would want to learn more about that because we're all carrying some degree of brokenness in our lives. What if our willingness to pursue each other, to love each other, to restore and fight for relationship, to make every effort is ultimately what reconciled people to God and each other? You know, we started off talking about the healthiest version of ourself, both physically and finance, financially. You can involve other people in both of those processes, but ultimately, they are individual pursuits. How bad do I want it? What am I willing to do? Well, what's unique for this ministry of reconciliation is that it's something that God has given the body of Christ, something that he's challenged all of us to do, and if any one of us are to opt out of it, we all pay a price for it. We all pay a price. We miss out on the the heaven that Jesus offered. His prayer was, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we know about heaven is there's gonna be no pain, no division, no relational drama, no people that we have ish with. So my question then is when do you think the problems that we feel now, the pain that we experience now, when do you think that's gonna be resolved? When we get to heaven, Do you think it's something that God's gonna do when we finally get there? Well, that's one option. But I would say God did his part in sending Jesus to restore right relationship with him, and now it's time for us to do our part, that we will walk in this ministry of reconciliation. It kinda reminds me of of high school. I grew up in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. I went to Richland Northeast High School, and our rival was Spring Valley High School, which is actually about a mile from our Columbia campus, so I'm sorry if you go there and happen to attend Spring Valley, but I just hated Spring Valley. I still don't like them, I'm sorry, I know, right? Their colors were like hunter green and gold, I'm like, hunter green, that's not even, doesn't even look good to wear, unless you're wearing it today, then it's beautiful. (laughs) That's what I'm saying, right? Their mascot was a Viking, it's like we don't even have Vikings anymore, there's a reason they're dead, we don't, Viking, you know, what is that? One time, my sister, they rezoned high schools. I went to Northeast, she went to Spring Valley. My mom went to pick up my sister one day at school and it just happened to be the same day that a guy from Northeast spray painted a bunch of white mice, orange and blue, and let them out in the school. And they're like, we saw Josh Walter's car in front of the school. You know, I had to have all these meetings. It's like, it wasn't even me, that's why I hate you, right? (laughs) She couldn't deal, I did not like Spring Valley. And something about high school, I didn't know anything about the guys on the baseball, football, basketball teams. I didn't know their stories. I didn't know their families. But in high school, as the rival, man, we had fights for no reason. We just bullied and did not like each other for no good. And then we all graduated and went to college. And a couple of those guys that just weeks before were my absolute enemies were like, hey, what's up, bro? We're in college now, it's all good, you know? (laughs) It's kind of odd that you would even bring up that stuff that happened two weeks ago, right? We're Gamecocks now, (laughs) it's all good you imagine being in college and seeing somebody walk by in their high school letter jacket? <laughs> that's just weird. You wouldn't do that, right? Why well, is the picture I see of heaven? That we're gonna step into heaven and people that we, we lived on earth with tension, division, drama, avoiding pain, not making every effort, that we're gonna experience heaven in heaven when he's inviting us to experience heaven on earth to persevere through some pain, that we might be restored to one another, that God might be glorified, and that people might be reached. Church, this is our opportunity, to forgive and love with the same heart that he did. What might God do if we were a people who walked that out? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your example, and I pray today, God, in the same way that that passage lays out that we would fix our eyes on you, that we would consider Jesus, the price that you paid, that we might live in a restored relationship with God, that we might experience restoration with each other. And I echo your prayer today. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we experience the intimacy, the joy, the blessing of relationship that we one day will in heaven. May we experience that and walk that out here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen.